Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. with Richard Southern and Richard there's no shortage of intriguing stories to chat about today let's begin with something that many Canadians are struggling to explain <laughs> turns out Erica UFO sightings are through the roof during the pandemic here in Canada so maybe we've got more time to look up into the sky or maybe there's actually something going on up there. Mm. New report from U UFOlogy Research says sightings of unidentified flying objects across Canada, including things like levitating disks, erratic spaceships, and floating triangles, increased 46% in 2020 over 2019 levels. There were 1,243 recorded sightings last year, a record for Canada, 30% of the sightings taking place right here in Ontario. And before you go and call all these people crackpots, Erica, we've talked about the fact that the U.S. government has admitted that its uh, military pilots have recorded, you know, things they can't explain, craft moving, defying the laws of physics. And the Pentagon, due to release a report before uh, June 1st, detailing what the U.S. government knows. So who knows? There might be something to this. You see a lot of strange things. you got to look at me every day, right, Erica? <laughs> no, not at all. But I will say for the UFO part of it, I think a small percentage are actually unexplained the rest of them you can sort of attribute to balloons or, or you know planes or something like that or too many too many cocktails or maybe something. But that yeah, too. Might, there's <laughs> uh, something to it maybe we'll get more in this report uh, we'll let you know about that when we get it in from the u.s government all right do canadians have better data on ufos than americans chris rakowski says they do canadian author and ufologist chris rakowski joins me to discuss current canadian uap politics and why Canadians potentially might be the best at researching UFOs. Join us as we get Rebelliously Curious. Chris, thank you for joining me on Rebelliously Curious. So as a fellow Canadian, I'm super excited to speak with you because I'm curious to see your thoughts about politics uh, within this topic within Canada, along with then uh, culture and all the recent news that's been happening. So you've been collecting data about UFOs within Canada since 1965 which is unbelievable. I would say that you probably have, I've, you can tell me if I'm wrong or not, the most uh, comprehensive UFO database or did have the most com comprehensive UFO database. So before we get into that, I would like to ask you just simply, how did you get into the UFO topic? Uh, well, first, thank you uh, for having me on. Um, and not since 65, since 75. I'm not 75. quite that old. Okay. Yeah, okay. not quite that old. <laughs> Okay. I may look it, but you know that's how. No, it is. you don't. You don't. Um, uh, yeah, no. I actually it started in the in the seventies, um, but I, you know when I was growing up, um, my uh, mom and dad, you know, had me plop in front of the TV set to watch the Gemini launches and Apollo. I remember being in uh, school when uh, they wheeled in a TV and watched uh, Neil Armstrong walk on the moon and that type of thing. Um, and in the mid-70s, there were quite a lot of UFOs being reported. It was in the news quite a bit. And reports started coming into um, the astronomy office because I was in university and uh, thought I would go into astronomy for the hot cars and money. Um, and it never happened. But uh, the, um, the phone calls were coming in from people who had seen UFOs. And my profs really weren't that thrilled about UFOs. They thought, oh, it's nonsense. Don't worry about it. Uh, but it was interfering with their research. They couldn't get anything done. So I happened to be in the office when one of my profs got a phone call. I said, hey, you know, I'll take the call for you, thinking I could, you know, suck up to my prof. And it, it worked because I 
I ended up getting these calls and I ended up talking with many people who had seen things. And uh, it, um, you know, as you might expect, most of them turn out to be stars and planets and satellites and that type of thing. But there were some that I didn't really know what those were. And I thought they were curious. And it was about a, a year and a half uh, or so later uh, when my prof asked me to give a small presentation to the Department uh, of Physics on what I had heard. And it, as an undergraduate, that's very unusual uh, for an undergraduate to give a presentation in the physics department. Um, but I agreed to it. And then the, once word got around, I was going to give a presentation. Um, they had to move it to the largest lecture hall on campus. So I found myself speaking to like 400 people about what I had heard about the UFOs uh, that had been reported. And that sort of mushroomed from there. And that's how I got uh, into the UFO thing. Wow, 400 people? And even in the 70s, I would think 400 people now, but in the <laughs> 70s, that's amazing, especially in Canada too. And we'll, you'll get into, we'll get into yeah. Canada and, and UFOs and all the wonderful reasons why maybe we don't speak about them so much, but 400 people, that's amazing. Um, well, and of course, back rats, then, yeah. back then that was before internet. So where would people get their information from? It was either magazines or, or from newspapers and, and occasional TV shows, but um, to, you know, to, to get all the information, uh, you know, having a lecture on UFOs. Uh, that was, you know, that was fantastic. So people were really interested in coming out to that. Yeah. And word of mouth. That's yeah. the big part. Yeah. You would say a lot of people were on campus and they were spreading that word. And that that's the best type of marketing is word of mouth mm -hmm. marketing, I would say. And that was the same time when um, Stan Friedman was going uh, across North America, lecturing at colleges and universities. As a matter of fact, he came to the university I was at in the seven, in 77, I think, 78, I think. Um, and Alan Hynek had come wow. to our university in 1976 because there had been some UFOs that were seen. And he actually came to investigate and he was also had done a lecture. And that's when I first met him. Um, and both Stan and Alan Hynek both ended up staying at my place, believe it or not. They slept over. Um, and it was such a great experience, you know, to have these mentors from, you know, sort of little different perspectives, but uh, to have them both uh, in, you know, so early in my uh, ufology career. Yeah. Did you get it? Did you take a photo with everyone? Yeah, I post, I, I have did, some photos of those. Did yeah. you, I'd love to see that. That's such yeah. a great memory. I think yeah. when people like that come together, like those, those moments, hundred percent have to be documented. Mm -hmm. I love that you bridged into Alan Hynek because I want to talk a little bit about project blue book, mm -hmm. project blue book. I was, most people know, obviously you're following UFO topic looking in and a program that was researching about UFOs, researching UFOs in the States, we had something kind of similar called Project Magnet, I believe in the 1950s. And this is before the Conan report in the early 60s. Can you tell us a little bit about Project Magnet? And I believe it was Mr. Uh, Wilbert Smith that headed mm. that, along with then U of T playing a, a part in this too. So can you break down for anybody who doesn't understand what Project Magnet is or, or what, what it would entail and how maybe it was connected to Project Blue Book at one point in time? Sure. Um, and in addition to Project Magnet, there was a second one called Project Second Story, uh, which uh, was sort of almost concurrent, but they were both in the 1950s. And uh, a fellow in, um, in the engineering uh, 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 department of radio and, and electrical engineering uh, in Transport Canada um, had uh, taken an interest in flying saucers. He thought that uh, flying saucers flew somehow with, uh, you know, following magnetic uh, lines uh, that type of thing. Um, and he was, a, he was personal interest. He was authorized to do a, a study on uh, magnetic propulsion and uh, principles and all like that. So he kind of, you know, stuck in the back door with that regard. And because Blue Book was going on and, and before then Grudge and Sign, um, Second Story was the Canadian version of that where um, uh, a number of individuals within the Defense Research Board were investigating and looking at UFOs from a security standpoint, which is what Blue Book was, was uh, working on. Um, but following that, in the 1960s, uh, uh, the Defense Research Board the National and the uh, Department of National Defense got out of UFO, the UFO business and passed it along to the National Research Council of Canada, which 
is kind of like the Canadian equivalent of the Smithsonian, uh, kind of led some of those scientific advances. Um, and the premise was that it was a scientific issue, not a defense issue, because following in with what the United States Air Force said, there didn't appear to be any um, defense or a security issue regarding UFOs. Uh, it was something else. And so taken on by the National Research Council, uh, the National Research Council partnered with the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, um, who are not really the Mounties, the Dudley Do-Rights uh, necessarily, but are more equivalent to the CIA because they are sort of very broad um, and uh, take on a lot of responsibilities and investigations in terms of security as well as uh, uh, safety and investigations and criminal uh, actions. So um, they partner with that. And so the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, who of course had departments and detachments all across the country, uh, would investigate UFOs for the National Research Council, talk to the witnesses, get the statements, send them into Ottawa. And that is how the, the, the arrangement was until about mid-1990s. Uh, so from the 40s to the 90s, there's actually a very consistent, uh, thorough record of Canada investigating UFOs at the official level. And we also have the documentation. So Blue Book finished in 69. And after that point, we really don't know really what was going on in the uh, uh, in the Pentagon with regard to UFOs. In Canada, we have a consistent record. As a matter of fact, since Canada's partnered with NATO, um, there was in fact some investigation of uh, UFOs in Canada that the information was sent to NATO, uh, sorry, not, not necessarily NATO, NORAD rather. Uh, mm -hmm. Canada's partnered with NORAD, of course, we're all partnered with NATO, but um, because of the, the NORAD uh, connection, um, you know, the, the defense of North America was involved. And so UFOs were investigated in Canada for NORAD, which was passed along to the Pentagon that way. So we have that record in Canada, but it's actually kind of missing uh, in the United States. So it's, it's very curious to see what's going on. Yeah. Why did we stop then? Because, you know, we get to Project Blue Book and then we just get out of the UFO business. Canada's like, we don't want to do this anymore. Why was I? Was that an influence from our American counterparts or was that because of people and reports like the Condon Committee and the Condon Report that came out saying that, you know what, this isn't really anything and let's just move on and science not giving it credit. Was it because of that? Was it was that one of the major reasons that we just decided? Because we saw in the early 70s, as you were saying, we also have you know people at officials and all different levels saying that we need to take this seriously mm -hmm. around the 70s, the 80s and the 90s. But you know, we just see it kind of die after Project Blue Book. So, you know, what would be the reason for that? Well, it's actually related to something that's happening right at the moment in the United States. Um, you know, the Pentagon's taken an interest right now. Um, there's some talk of getting congressional inquiries going on. In fact, some of the issues were raised, uh, you know, in congressional subcommittees. Um, and people are saying, wow, if only Congress took an interest in UFOs. Well, it turns out in 1966, Gerald Ford, before he was president, um, lobbied for a congressional investigation into UFOs. And it actually happened in 1968. There was a congressional investigation, a panel, an inquiry into UFOs in the United States in 1968. And in 1969, the year after Project Blue Book closed down. And the politics of that was because, you know, there, was, there were scientists who gave excellent presentations. Heineck was involved, uh, uh, you know, another number of other individuals, James McDonald were involved. Um, and they gave great presentations on the UFO subject, but there wasn't enough meat there for the Pentagon anyways to say, let's continue investigating as a defense problem. So they closed it down and that's where Blue Book, you know, slammed the door uh, and, and similarly Condon. So after that point, we're not sure. And so when people are getting excited about congressional inquiries in the United States in 2022, well, let's just hope it doesn't suffer the same fate as what happened in 1968 and shut everything down. The good news is, um, you know, the, the landscape has is, is changed a little bit. There's a little more science opposed to defense. Uh, and, but, and the model, I suppose, is Canada in that the Canadians uh, were looking at it from a scientific perspective. But in 1995, uh, even the National Research Council got out of the UFO business in Canada. 
they terminated the agreement between them and the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. And it, um, Transport Canada took over sort of the realm of UFOs. Transport Canada is the equivalent of the FAA uh, in the United States. And uh, between 1995 to the present day, UFO reports continue to be filed by pilots um, and are recorded uh, by Transport Canada and also another organization, a, uh, a non-government organization called Nav Canada, which is sort of at arm's distance to everything. So we actually have a complete record of what's being reported officially and investigated officially in Canada from 19, the 1940s to now, which is not what we have in the United States whatsoever. And it's very interesting that, you know, people are posting things about pilots who have seen things fly around their planes. Well, we're having those all the time in Canada. In fact, um, because of the shared agreement with NORAD, a lot of the cases go right into the United States anyways. And also, in fact, we've had some of these fairly recently where uh, American pilots having to fly over Canada. Uh, there was one classic case where a pilot was flying from, um, uh, from Alaska down into, I think, uh, Minneapolis and happened to be flying right over Canada, of course. And the pilot saw a UFO over Saskatchewan. And because it was in Canada, he made his UFO report to Transport Canada. So we have an American pilot filing a UFO report in Canada. And so we do know that there's a little bit of spillover between the two countries. But if you look at it in the whole context of North American defense and airspace, um, there's still a lot of investigation and research going on, and the data is there. Wow. And so you're telling me that Canadians probably are better at documenting UFOs than the Americans? Is that what you're telling me, Chris? Absolutely. <laughs> in, in terms of documenting, in terms of investigation, maybe as well, because we also have uh, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police um, interviews with witnesses, for example, in the 90s, in the 80s and 90s. Um, so there was some significant investigation. There was, you know, the, so I've mentioned already Project Magnet, Project Second Story, and then the National Research Council, and they were conducting investigations uh, uh, at a fairly high level. In fact, some of the cases in the 60s in Canada uh, resulted in literally hundreds of pages of documentation, which we have uh, because we've gone searching for the documents uh, in the uh, Library and Archives Canada and the National Libraries of Canada. Um, and we've retrieved many of these documents. In fact, my collection of, of documents uh, includes uh, everything that's been reported uh, up until the present time. And it's uh, uh, quite substantial. We, uh, I do something called the Canadian UFO Survey every year. I coordinate it with other researchers uh, from coast to coast. And we look at all the data, kind of a snapshot of all the reports that are filed in a given year. And it turns out in Canada, there's something like you know, 750 to 1,000 UFO reports every year that are officially filed. They come from, uh, you know, just not the average person, but filed with uh, UFO organizations, not just in Canada, but also in the United States, like Peter Davenport's New Fork site with MUFON, uh, with, group, with Canadian groups like the ones in Quebec. There's one called UFO BC in British Columbia. Uh, and, and we put all this data together, including what's reported through Transport Canada by pilots and air traffic controllers and so forth. And we get an idea of what's being seen and do some crunching of the data and numbers. So when I hear that, you know, um, Project Galileo is looking for solid data and, uh, uh, you know, important scientific data. Well, we have a lot of that. In fact, since we started doing the Canadian UFO survey in the late 1980s, we have something close to 25,000 separate UFO reports in Canada. Um, and that's way more than Project Blue Book ever had. So, you know, the, the data is there. It's just a matter of you know, crunching it and looking at it and doing some analysis. Uh, I would like to chat with you about Larry McGuire. So recently he brought up uh, in our parliament and talked about why we need to be very keen on what's going on around our own nuclear bases and talking about, you know, military activity that's happening with UFOs. Can you explain to me why you thought that Larry would have jumped into this topic right now. We know that Americans and what's going on right now within the Senate probably plays a big part of that, but why would Larry have this type of 
inclination to come out now and say it? Is it something that would be a political slant for him? Or do you think that this is something that he might be really actually deeply connected to? Well, Larry McGuire is a member of parliament and um, he had actually uh, contacted me uh, a, a year or two ago now um, because he had a, he's always had a strong interest in the, in the subject um, uh, out of his personal interest. But, and, and I'll go back to the Transport Canada cases. Um, part of the problem is we have these pilot cases that are, are making their way to Transport Canada. And the argument is, if these UFOs uh, and things that are reported by Transport Canada um, are not real, whatever that might mean, uh, let's say the pilot is mistaken, well, it, it's not good for pilots to be mistaken about things that are flying around in the sky. There are cases where um, some of the instruments on board the aircraft uh, show, for example, the radar shows there's something there when there's not anything there, or conversely, um, it, it doesn't detect something that people are seeing with their own eyes. Now, if there's an equipment malfunction, uh, that should be of concern as well. So mm. even if you take aliens out of the question, and we haven't brought that up yet, thankfully, but if you take that out of the equation, there's a lot of reasons why UFO reports should be studied and investigated. You know, if it's a problem with the pilots, a problem with the technology, if it's some sort of other natural phenomenon, you know, these are all good reasons to investigate. So uh, one of the reasons that Larry McGuire had contacted me was to find out information about what's going on in Canadian skies. And um, somebody had filed a, uh, an Access to Information Act request in, in Canada. It's an Access to Information in the United States. It's a Freedom of Information Act um, for what the Canadian government, you know, has been doing recently regarding UFOs because the Minister of National Defense in 2021 um, requested a briefing on what the Canadian uh, military was doing on UFOs. They, uh, the, whoever filed the request, got the briefing or the slides from the briefing, and it's actually I'm actually mentioned on the slides um, as being a, a person who is investigating the UFOs in Canada and working with National Defense, which I I do I suppose, um, and um, because of that connection. There is this interest in, in what's going on in the sky. And Larry McGuire also looked specifically at what's going around at nuclear bases. This comes from uh, a lot of the, the popular ufology right now, Robert Salas and people like that are saying, you know, UFOs are attracted to nuclear bases and so forth. What about the nuclear bases in Canada or nuclear sites in Canada? And we do have a number of them. Um, as a matter of fact, there's one called Pickering, which is uh, a little ways east of Toronto. Um, and so I was asked, are, are there UFO reports in the Canadian UFO survey database of 25,000, any of those anywhere near nuclear sites? And it's a pretty simple procedure just to do a search. And sure enough, if you put in Pickering into the database, it pops up about 50 times. Um, so yes, there are UFOs associated with nuclear sites in, uh, in Canada. And I, I gave that information to uh, Larry McGuire and he is curious, he wants to know is there any security issue regarding UFOs or UAPs over nuclear sites in, in Canada? And that was actually picked up by another MP, um, uh, also uh, from Manitoba, oddly enough. Um, and uh, she also raised the issue with uh, the, uh, the, uh, the minister in charge of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, because they're also involved in this. Uh, and since then, a third member of parliament has uh, taken some interest. So there is some interest in the, uh, by Canadian members of parliament and politicians related to what's going on and certainly spurred by what's going on. Because in addition to contacting me, Larry McGuire contacted um, a number of individuals in uh, the Scientific Coalition for Ufology and also contacted Luis Elizondo uh, and Hal Pudoff and they also gave some presentations to him. So he's getting information from a lot of disparate um, directions and thankfully at least he's getting some from the, the Canadian side as well. So I tried to, to provide as much as possible. Uh, so there's some information going on there and uh, oddly enough um, just just yesterday I heard from uh, Larry McGuire's uh, secretary because uh, my latest book is uh, uh, going to come uh, going to have a book launch in September and uh, Larry McGuire has agreed 
as of this taping, uh, to uh, speak at the uh, launch of my book. So, uh, you know, he, this is not a fly-by-night thing. He is dedicated to trying to find out what's going on. And uh, I think he has the support of a lot of his constituents and certainly a lot of other people in Canada. I'm happy to hear that Larry is actually taking a stance and going to be hopefully moving this UAP topic more uh, into a broader scope into the Canadian landscape. So with that said, I would love to ask you your opinion, why you think, or, or maybe you do or you don't, about thinking why Canadians might not be as interested in this topic, because we're so quiet about it. Canadian media doesn't talk a lot about it. You know, I think individually we might speak a lot about it, but in our culture, UFOs, even though we have a lot of UFO cases, we don't really speak on it on a broader level. Why do you think that is? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, I, I might quibble a bit. Um, I sure. know that um, there actually are quite a few um, uh, times when media has shown an interest. Every year when I put out the Canadian UFO survey, for example, media shows an interest and usually does uh, some feature on it. Uh, there have been uh, articles in the Globe and Mail and the National Post and then locally and things have been syndicated. I've been on CTV and chorus and things like that um, quite a bit. So I think media is there. I think um, the subject is of interest. Uh, in uh, On Facebook, there are individual Facebook groups for I think almost every province. Uh, and the groups are very active and I, I'm encouraging, I actually uh, am uh, admin for some of the groups and I encourage um, people on there to report UFOs. It's one of the way that we get UFO reports, as a matter of fact, from people who see something in New Brunswick. And so they post their, uh, their what they've seen to the New Brunswick UFO group on Facebook. And uh, it's a very efficient way. You know, you, you do have to contend with spam and, and a lot of other uh, trolling and things like that, as you would in any Facebook group. Uh, but, you know, the, the reports do come in through there. Um, and... Um, I would say that part of it is is the the um, the size of Canada too. I mean, you know, we're you know a little under forty million uh, for a country that's uh, larger than the United States. So, uh, you know, the, getting the word out is is quite difficult. But whenever there's a you know a TV show or a, a Netflix movie or something about UFOs, I think Canada shows the interest. But it's true. I it's not the type of thing we we talk about as much anywhere anymore. It does go in waves. Uh, in the 70s, we, they're quite active in the, into the 80s. And then I would say just before the turn of the millennium, people were really interested and there's a lot of media interest around uh, in 1999 uh, and then early in the 2000s as well. But it's true over the past little while, interest seems to have gone down. However, if you look at the actual numbers of UFOs that are reported, in 2020, uh, the number of UFOs reported was actually the third highest on record. Uh, so people were seeing things and reporting them in, in very significant numbers. In 2021, the numbers uh, fell very sharply. Uh, whether this is all due to some sort of pandemic effect, I don't know. But uh, it, it does show that the, the interest wanes and waxes depending on a number of factors. And, you know, I think there's a, a lot of room for um, some scientific uh, discourse and some investigation and some research, you know, PhD theses and, and master's theses uh, uh, are ripe for the picking here. Yeah, I'd love to see institutes like the Dunlop uh, Observatory of the Dunlop Institute with U of T look into this as well. You made some great, uh, mentioned some great stats along with, I read one of them from you saying that Canadians see UFOs about three times a day that are reported and the length is about 15 minutes long generally. And it's more than one person. It's about two people that have a sighting. So mm -hmm. I, I think it's really unbelievable. And we have tons of them, you know, we have tons within the indigenous communities that are having UFO sightings, you know, there's UFO folklore as well in, in indigenous cultures. So I think it's something that for sure is very close to us, but I find personally, and, and I might be wrong, that I don't think we talk about it as freely as I find that other countries do. Um, maybe that's because of our British influence and we are a little more conservative uh, in our mentality at times uh, in the way that we talk about certain subjects. So 
hopefully I think that will change and I'm open and I'm glad that I'm seeing that media is picking this, picking up these stories way more. And they're going to people like yourself, Chris, that mm. have been researching this for a really long time. Mm. With and, that and the said, Dunlop yep. oh, sorry, just going to say yeah, the Dunlop Observatory uh, itself wasn't involved, but the University of Toronto uh, did have its own investigation program into UFOs um, in the Institute for Aerospace Studies. Um, but unfortunately, and, and you know, this goes back to, you know, this Project Galileo and people like that are saying science has to take a good look at UFOs. Well, the University of Toronto Institute of Aerospace Studies took a good look at UFOs, or they said it was going to take a good look at UFOs, studied a, you know, um, uh, probably a, a large handful of them, uh, found that uh, the ones they investigated had, had explanations and uh, the subject died. But we have the records of the of the uh, University of Toronto investigations, and you know that wasn't that long ago. I think that was seventies uh, or eighties that they conducted their investigations. That was a scientific investigation in Canada um, of UFOs, and they didn't find anything significant there. Now, you know there are Canadian members uh, who are part of Project Galileo with Avi Loeb. As a matter of fact. Uh, um, one of his assistants contacted me directly to find out if I wanted to participate. I said yes, because um, I think there is some worthwhile uh, uh, research that needs to be done. Um, but uh, just the fact that a scientist is going to be looking at UFOs doesn't necessarily mean we're going to get the right uh, amount of investigation or the research is going to go in the direction we expect. Um, uh, I think it has to be taken all under consideration. Uh, some review of history has to be taken into account. Even the, uh, the United States uh, UAP task force, the uh, all domain anomaly uh, um, resolution office that they've just formed. Um, you know, they're apparently not really that, all that interested in old cases, uh, although that seems to be what they're getting right now. Uh, I think they have something like two or 300 old cases that have been reported. Uh, but we have many, many more. And uh, in the United States alone, you know, there's something like 10,000 cases reported every year to a number of UFO organizations, not necessarily by radar or with cameras and things like that. But people, the average citizen uh, is reporting things. And, and the FAA is actually um, reporting uh, objects that are, it's classifying as drones, but are clearly not drones, uh, lights in the sky that are zipping by planes and so forth. So those are continuing being reported. So there's so much data. Uh, I'm, I'm optimistic that with so much data, one might be able to come up with a, a decent program to analyze and figure out what's going on. Uh, I'm pessimistic because there's so much data, uh, it's going to be very hard to, uh, to sort out and winnow what's good from the bad. Yeah, I think that's going to take a really long time to sort the data. The other part too, I would say is, you know, Canadians might have a, a role working with the States again, like we did in the early seventies and the eighties. And, and I believe the sixties as well in researching this, and maybe we'll have, you know, the university of Toronto will have more of an academic scientific, uh, hand in this in studying the data. It would be great to see that happen again, because I'm curious to see where Canada will go with this. Once we start to, you know, maybe be more comfortable in the media and we become more free speaking about it as a country, then maybe we'll be able to to move and work with people like the Galileo Project more often, or working with the United States government to help really research or work with NASA, you know, and, and researching and helping them collect data. My other question to you now outside of that is looking at the United Nations. What would you like, because there is this conversation right now about, you know, hopefully having this UAP topic within the United Nations and San Marino being that place. What do you think, where would Canada fit in that? How would Canada play a role within the United Nations? Have you thought about that? No, that's a good question. Um, well, I mean, there is the Outer Space Treaty of 1965 or something like that, that Canada signed on to, I think. Um, but that, you know, that was long before people thought about flying saucers being, being part of the whole thing. Um, um, and of course, there was the, uh, the committee that uh, Sir Edmund Gary um, formulated through the United Nations back in 1974, 73, my, my memory is going here. Um, so, you know, the United Nations does have a role to play and it's good that, uh, you know, some possibility at San Marino might uh, be the, 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 the location for this because uh, UFOs are a, a global problem. And 
you know, there are uh, cases from around the world, and if Canada can participate in some way and perhaps lead the way, and I, you know, I think Canada should play a, a, a significant role uh, in this because, of course, the history of, of uh, you know, working uh, on the problem, both from a defense standpoint uh, and from a scientific standpoint. And the National Research Council, um, you know, stopped investigating UFOs because it was transitioning to the Can Canadian Space Agency, more involved with, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, the ISS and uh, the Canada arm and things like that. Um, and I think there is ample opportunity for Canada to, uh, to be recognized for the research that it's already done. And once that's done, uh, moving ahead with some of the, the work that uh, is being, you know, could be done in the future. Yeah, I agree. It'd be great to see that. And it'd be great to have you as part of that team to see that as well. Oh yeah. Pick me, Monty. Pick me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Uh, my last question to you too is, you know, we look at the data that's been collected and I believe that you have stopped collecting the data now and it's been going directly to the Canadian government or Transport Canada still. And you can clarify to me, I'd love to know why they've asked you or why you decided to stop collecting that data in regards to them sending you information, I should say, not your own personal, but um, having them send you those reports. Why did they stop doing that? And are we going to be ending up with a UAP, a UFO office right now within the Canadian government too? Is that on the horizon? Um, I, I, I'm not sure if we're, they're going to end up with a UAP office. I mean, if, if there's enough pressure through, um, uh, through people like uh, Larry McGuire and others, you know, there might be a, be somebody who's assigned uh, this. I mean, even when the National Research Council was investigating UFOs, there was one person in a small corner of an office in the Hertzberg Institute um, in uh, in Ottawa uh, who uh, was assigned to you know gather the UFO reports. Um, so there, you know, and and even Project Blue Book in many instances, it wasn't the the glamorous uh, thing that you see on TV. It was usually one one person at most. Uh, at an airbase somewhere who was gathering the reports and was terribly underfunded and couldn't go on very many investigations. So, um, you know, to see Canada do something, I'm not sure if that's going to be in the budget. And that's why they stopped investigating UFOs, as a matter of fact, because it was probably going to be embarrassing to have UFO investigation as a line item in the departmental budget. budget. Um, as for um, not getting the, uh, the UFO reports anymore, um, it's interesting that according to National Defense, they're still sending them to me. But if, uh, uh, you know, I haven't heard of any uh, over the past year or so, um, it's strange that in 2021, um, you know, I was recognized as, uh, you know, uh, the person that was receiving the uh, uh, reports from the Canadian government and doing the analysis every year. Uh, and that sort of dried up over the past year. Uh, I suspect that's what's happening is that there's a reevaluation of where the reports should be going. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm technically a civilian researcher. Uh, I'm, I'm not affiliated with any major institute and certainly not affiliated with the Department of National Defense. Um, so the question would be, why would they want to send UFO reports to me from military personnel um, uh, anymore? I mean, I, I've, I've got them. I, I remember a number of times when uh, I've received calls from uh, Canadian forces bases uh, uh, regarding UFOs seen by military personnel in the past, uh, but it makes sense that there's going to be a more rigorous procedure in place, especially since that's what's occurring now in the Pentagon, that they, they're implementing new procedures and policies for allowing military personnel to report uh, UFOs and allow the investigation uh, within the, the Defense Department. Um, and since Canada does follow very closely with what the United States is doing, and because, you know, there's this still sharing of NORAD, um, uh, it makes sense that the Canadian government would be reevaluating uh, who's going to be handling the, uh, the UFO uh, report uh, division or whatever it is. Uh, but I think it's important that somebody look into it. And until such time as we have clear indication of some department that's doing it, I mean, at the present time, even the United States, we're... Where does the average person report a UFO if they want it to be recorded by the UAP task force? It's simply not possible. Right now, um, anybody in Canada, whether uh, civilian or military or government, um, can make a report uh, that eventually finds its way into the Canadian UFO survey 
and it's all um, you know uh, the aggregate is analyzed and we have that uh, data available so uh, I, I think uh, you know until things get sorted out in the United States it'll be interesting to see how long it takes for Canada to follow suit but let's uh, let's cross our fingers and uh, that we'll get access to some of this information and they're going to reach out to the appropriate divisions yeah, I hope so, because we have so much data and it would be wonderful that we can look at past data and be able to see any correlations or connections along with, you know, what's been happening even around the world. You know, mm-hmm. we look at the United Nations and I've, I've had this conversation with other people as well, saying that the time that we actually get something in the United Nations that is talking about UFOs, we'll be able to have a place where all of those UFO sightings around the world or yearly, we can have a wonderful breakdown and look at that data even closer and better and maybe have better analysis by what's happening from all different countries and be able to see what type of UAP activity were happening and when it's happening, what does it look like? What are the shapes, you know, um, how, what is the propulsion systems? If we at some point, hopefully figure that out, um, mm-hmm. if it does any propulsion system at all. So I think that once we get to that place and obviously Canada will have a big hand in that because of how much data we actually have, we'll mm-hmm. probably be in a better space when we can work together globally. That's and I right. Think that's and always the, the case. <laughs> yeah. I was yeah. going to say, and one of the best sources for so, what we have done, um, is my new book, Canada's UFOs Declassified, yes. um, which is uh, just out now. And what I've done, I've gone through the National Research Council files from uh, the 1940s to uh, um, this batch is until 1981 or 82, um, looking for the interesting cases and to look for uh, some of the investigations that were done at a fairly high level and the results therein, finding cases uh, that were, uh, you know, sightings by Royal Canadian Mounted Police, by pilots, by uh, you know military personnel, and some of the the you know uh, the analyses there uh, there were objects seen at close range. There was uh, people are talking about metamaterials and analysis of crashed UFOs. Well, uh, most people don't realize that in the 1960s there was a uh, a, a large chunk of, uh, of a UFO or supposedly from a UFO that was analyzed and looked at even by somebody from the Condon Committee. Um, and nobody's talking about that. Nobody's talking about the pieces of UFOs, uh, you know, supposedly from the Falcon Lake case from 1967, um, other material uh, that was acquired over the years. Uh, you know, we're not hearing about that. And yet a lot of that material is available. So I, I went through some of the most interesting cases and presented them in this book called Canada's UFOs Declassified. That's amazing. And I didn't realize that we actually had, before I even end this, I didn't even know that we had material from Falcon Lake. Just for the listener and for the viewer, can you explain what Falcon Lake, uh, the incident was and when it was, and I believe it was in Manitoba. And I had no idea that we had crash material and where that potentially could be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 1967, a fellow was doing some uh, rock hounding, um, trying to, uh, to find some interesting rocks uh, in an area between um, Manitoba and, and Northern Ontario. Um, and the, the short story is um, he saw, uh, you know, for all intents and purposes, a Hollywood style flying saucer land on a rock outcropping near him, as a matter of fact. Um, where is it? Oh, now? do you have? I love that wall. I, I, have it, <laughs> I have it right here. This is a model of uh, what he saw. That's great. Uh, there was a, a, a little door here that lights was shining out of. Uh, he could hear p- high-pitched voices, thinking there was an American secret weapon of sorts. He walked up to it, touched the side of it. Uh, it, it was so hot it melted his glove. And uh, uh, the thing took off with a blast of hot gas, set his clothes on fire, set pine needles and leaves on fire. Uh, he went to the hospital, was examined by uh, emergency room personnel, uh, he was uh, inv- in, uh, sorry, um, uh, looked at by uh, Canadian Forces personnel at the uh, military hospital as well. Uh, he went down to the Mayo Clinic in Rochester uh, as well because he was, his burns were not uh, going away. Yeah, he was still not feeling well. And we have literally hundreds of pages of government records from the Royal Canadian Mounted Police to the um, Royal Canadian Air Force to the medical records and so forth of what happened to this fellow and the RCMP and the Royal Royal Canadian Air Force both said they have no idea, they cannot explain this particular case. And there was radioactive material found at the site. Um, We have the analysis of the uh, radioactive material done by Atomic Energy of Canada. 
And there were some radioactive silver pieces found in a crack in the rock over which this thing had, uh, had landed. Um, and that piece uh, uh, of material, uh, it's about four inches long or so, radioactive, uh, made of silver, uh, and has been an analyzed by a number of institutions, including University of Chicago, uh, institutions here in Canada, and is still radioactive and is sitting on my mantle. You need to get that and show us. <laughs> That's amazing. How did you end up getting that? Well, I mean, I reopened the case uh, when I got into uh, uh, UFOs really big in the 1970s. Um, and um, uh, the family uh, uh, recognized that I was serious about my investigations and research. And uh, I, uh, I, in fact, Unsolved Mysteries flew them and myself down to NBC's set for an episode of Unsolved Mysteries. Um, and uh, I, you know, I sort of uh, worked with them on, uh, on, on this. They were really hesitant about going to media, but uh, I sort of was the intermediary for them. And um, I decided that it was, it was time to tell the story. They were frustrated the whole story hadn't been told. Very few people knew about it, knew the, the details. So uh, the son of the witness and I put together a book called When They Appeared, uh, which is also uh, available, just came out a few years ago, um, in which we detail the investigations. We present uh, uh, the background, um, uh, some of the analyses of the, the materials. And, uh, um, you know, it's, uh, it's an interesting story of what the UFO case actually uh, did to the family. I mean, it was very disruptive. Uh, in fact, the title of the book, When They Appeared, has nothing to do with aliens. It has to do with the fact that the Royal Canadian Air Force and the RCMP showed up on the doorstep um, and the media showed up on their doorstep and it was very, very disruptive. The kids were followed home from school. They were teased, you know, your dad saw a flying saucer, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, it, it was, uh, you know, a, quite an interesting um, uh, detailed case study of uh, what happens when UFOs come down to Earth. Wow. Yeah. And it's, again, another amazing Canadian story. And we have so many of them and, and a lot of people don't know about them, but I say to everyone, and I'm not just saying it because we're Canadian, but please look into all the different UAP cases that have happened in Canada. Cause some of them are just really unbelievable. It's UFO, um, eh? It's exactly, it's UFO, eh? It's exactly what it is. So we need a website called UFO, eh? And it's yeah. just all of the collection of UFO cases and studies uh, and paraphernalia from around Canada. Sure. Uh, saying that about paraphernalia, can you tell me, I have to, this wall is amazing. We were talking about this before we started recording. Can you tell me your favorite thing on that back of that wall right now that, <laughs> that you have there? Uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's tough. Um, there's, a, there's a couple of, of interesting things. I'll reach over here. Yeah. Um, this is... Uh, this actually has to do with the Falcon Lake case. This is a, uh, a brand of beer that was uh, put out by a small brewery um, to commemorate uh, the Falcon Lake case. Um, uh, this, is a, uh, this is an American uh, brewery that puts out an un unbelievable filtered offering, so that, but they you know, made some headway with that. Um, and, um, oh, well, I have to show you this one. <laughs> yes, please. This is a baseball from the Las Vegas 51s, Area 51s, no, which, no is, which was the farm team for the Toronto Blue Jays uh, for a while. And then I think they, they shifted to the uh, Red Sox. Uh, but this is, uh, there was an actual, um, you know, uh, you know farm, farm team, professional <laughs> baseball team, uh, farm team that was related to UFOs. So, there's, That's there's hilarious. A, a lot of a lot of uh, neat little things that that people have uh, given me over the years and uh, that are near and dear to my heart. Yeah. Do you have any of the coins, the commemorative coins that we have that have I, uh, I do. UFO cases I do. on them? Uh, yeah. I think that, I've been, you know, it's funny. I've missed both of them because I believe there's two and maybe there's more and you can tell me if there is. Uh -huh, but, there's yeah. more than two. Is there? Okay, fact, good. Every time I go to get one, they're gone. And I've been yeah, so they, upset. They sell it very well. One. This, this is they which do. one? This is, this is the Falcon Lake. This is the Falcon Lake one. Uh, this is actual uh, legal tender, uh, pure silver. Um, and uh, I think it's, a, a, you know, 120 bucks or something like that. But um I I recently acquired 
I think this is the next one. There's another one. Uh, this is, oh yeah, this is Montreal. Right. Um, and then yes. there's, um, it's a beautiful there's Clarenville, one. Um, and there's, um, I know there's four out and I can, I'm not supposed to say this, but Canada Post, or not Canada, but the Canada, Canadian Mint contacted me. We're in the process of getting uh, another one out. I'm not, I can't tell you which one, uh, but another one's coming out, I think, later this year. And they, there's going to be more in the series. So I think there's a total of, of five that are going to be out by the end of this year and, and more to come. That's amazing. You have to tell me before they drop what yeah. the date's going to be just so that yes. I can make sure I, I buy one because every time I hear, and then I go on the website, they're gone and I'm always upset because, and now trying to get them is so much harder. So I, I will at least have to start my collection with number five. Yeah. Better it's, starting uh, late than ever. Right. They, they sell out within 24 hours. And I think they said it's the fastest selling coin that they, they produce. And I mean, they, there's a lot of commemorative coins that they produce all legal tender. Um, but, uh, yeah, to, uh, to see that these things disappear so quickly and, and on eBay, they're astronomical. I think there's something like 1200 bucks or something like that. For, for one yeah. Now. They're expensive, but they're beautiful. Thank mm -hmm. you so much, Chris. Where can people get your book? Where can they buy it? Um, my book is available uh, on Amazon. Uh, also, um, from the publisher itself, white crow books in, uh, in, in England and, uh, uh, by all means, take a look. Uh, and we've re reproduced many of the official government documents in the book itself. So you can actually see what the government was saying about UFOs. That's awesome. And as I say to everybody, thank you, Chris. Thanks for being rebelliously curious with me today. So you've got an idea for a business, the store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out, everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in-person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.